Hey everyone, welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast, where we dive into the people, stories, and iconic moments that have helped make sneakers a global phenomenon. If you've ever told someone that you like their kicks, then you're in the right place. Before we lace up this episode, here's a little teaser for you. Stick around to the end of each episode for the last shot question. It's a chance to test your sneaker knowledge and engage with our community. I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter for a weekly deep dive into the biggest topics in the sneaker business. All right, now that the business is taken care of, grab your favorite pair of kicks and let's get started with the episode. How's everybody doing? Welcome to another episode of the Sneaker History Podcast. I'm very excited to bring another great interview episode to our listeners here. I'm hanging out with my friend, Julia. We've been friends for internet friends for a couple years now and this is the first time we're we're connecting in the internet flesh so we have um uh, julia zucchini here sneaker god of the euro milan london scene i want to make her laugh a little bit but julia how you doing say hello to our listeners hey everyone i'm good thanks how are you I am not bad. A little too much energy. Um, it's 8.30 in the morning in Portland, and it's like 4.30 at the end of your workday in yes. London. So very different levels of energy happening right now. Definitely. I'm, I'm definitely starting to tank. Maybe I should have had some coffee to, to match you. No. I mean, is that a Euro thing where you can drink coffee at 4 o'clock? I fall. I'll be up till midnight. I'll never fall asleep. Oh, I'm Italian, so I drink coffee three, four times a day. I'll just have like ah. an espresso pick me up in the afternoon. You're a beast. Um, <laughs> you know, you're, you're a beast of a, of a person because I think you, you occupy a whole bunch of different spaces sneaker fans are interested in. I think most of us kind of have an overlap of love of sports. If you love shoes, they kind of just go hand in hand. And why I really wanted to have you on the show is because, you know, here in the States, we really don't get too many firsthand accounts of sneaker cultures outside of our own. We even confuse the states with each other on what we like. So <laughs> very hard to get a firsthand account of what's happening in London. Or I feel like you spend half your time or some of your time also in Milan, right? You go back and mm -hmm. forth. Yeah. So like what those scenes are like. So I kind of want to start this interview with, you know, how did you get into sneakers? Um, what's some of your favorite pairs growing up? What are your, some of your favorite pairs now? But how did the sneaker thing start for you? Um, yeah, so I guess it started off in a fairly traditional way, which I think the basis is sports transcends geography. So I started playing basketball at a very young age. Um, my dad used to play pro in Italy. So uh, as much as he never pushed me into it, I was influenced by him and started playing when I was around 11 years old and quickly got obsessed with, basketball culture. Um, in Europe, that was, I think, quite different to what uh, you probably had in the States. I had, I could see obviously some snippets of what was going on in the States, but the internet was not what it is now when I was 11 years old. That will probably tell my age. Um, but yeah, so uh, it was very much European focused. Uh, my dad grew up playing in Converse, so I had a lot of Converse in my life, but I was obsessed with And One. 
um, which was definitely obviously influenced by the And One mixtapes that we did mm-hmm. also get in Italy. But it was also one of the only shoes that I could get in a girl's size back in the day. Pretty okay. much And One Tai Chi's were the only shoe that any of my teammates could get their hands on as females. Uh, but that sort of spurred my interest in that world. I used to get, I don't know if you ever played in Tai Chi's. They were oh, so comfortable. Like, yeah, me too. I still have a pair. <laughs> so comfortable, but they would fall apart quite often. So I think they would last me maybe four or five months. So I, I probably need two pairs per season. And then with that excuse, I started getting more and more colorways. So I had the white and red, white, black and red, blue and black, uh, orange and black. And I just started going crazy with the colorways and started falling in love with the on-court stuff. Um, and then it went sort of hand in hand with Italian sort of fashion culture. I wouldn't say that back then I would have, I knew I was into sneakers. I just was into what the fashion was and looking hip and looking like a cool 14 year old. Um, so I wore yeah. a lot of Air Max 90s growing up in Italy. Uh, a lot of 97, we call them silver bullets. Uh, and you always have to say, even if the they're accent. not silver bullets, you still call them silver bullets. Well, even or if you they're have not like always... the, the, the gold bullet. Gold. It was a bullet. Yeah, gold, was the bullet though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have to have say with the accent. And um, so obviously if you had those, they were really expensive back in the day. I remember like, I think I got my first pair when I was uh, maybe 16, 17. And I think I'd begged my parents for the previous two years to get a pair um, because obviously they weren't just going to spend a yeah. bunch of money on shoes for me at that age. Uh, so I remember like when I first got a pair, I was over the moon because I think I was one of the only kids at school that didn't have a pair. Um, and then that love for Air Maxes started morphing when I first moved to the to the UK for university. Uh, so I moved here when I was 18. And I guess I had more of a global influx of sort of influence on my life. Uh, students mm-hmm. from all across the world, uh, still playing basketball there. Uh, started getting more into Jordans. Uh, I remember I had a friend at university called Alex Glisson, um, French guy, and he was obsessed with Jordan 5s. So I'd always like look at all of his Jordan 5s and stuff. Started getting involved in that. I remember I bought my ex-boyfriend his first pair of Jordan 4s. I got him the Green Glow 4s. And then it all just snowballed. I was like trying to influence everyone around me also to love sneakers. And now here I am today with too many sneakers and not enough space. He better still have those shoes, um, first of all. You know what? Should ask him, but it has been like 12 years. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe, maybe, maybe let that die then. <laughs> maybe we'll have to revisit it. But I love how... Um, you know, the Tai Chi thing, I think everybody sees the Tai Chi and they're one of the most beautiful designs. They were so affordable. They were so great. But even the retros I had, they're cardboard. It's like those things will fall apart if you get them wet. But they'll, they'll yeah. just like, they're, they're not a great shoe like that. And it's interesting um, the Air, um, how Air Max kind of was the thing with Nike in your early relationship and growing up with that brand, because here in the States, I always associate just Air Maxes as being very popular across Europe more so than probably America. And that was the first thing is so they Air Maxes. Are they still, well, that's kind of a really big question, but like air, everybody walk around seeing Air Max or Air Max is this the thing for everybody. 
I think a lot has changed. I think, you know, growing up, obviously we didn't have Instagram. We didn't have ways of seeing what fashion in other places looked like. So in Italy, like we had very specific fashion trends, which would also change quite a lot depending where you lived in the country. So I'm from up north. I'm from mm-hmm. Milan. The like hip kids were called like San Carlini and they would have these like, you know how like everybody wears North Face now? Back then we used yeah. to wear a brand called Aspizi, which is like an Italian luxury brand or Woolrich. So you had to have those and you had to have your Air Maxes and that's what was in. But then we also used to wear a lot of like Pumas. I don't know if you remember like Puma Monsters, the Monstros. Okay, yes. Yes. With, we used to love like that driving shoe kind of vibe. So... But then I remember I'd spend a lot of time in Germany because my family um, has like some roots in Berlin. And then that was very different. They used to wear a lot of Adidas, a lot of Puma, but more of the sort of soccer vibe shoes. And that was very different. Whilst nowadays, I feel like everybody is so influenced by this global look, uh, global Mm -hmm. aesthetic. And I think a lot of U.S. influence where I feel like Jordans are just the big thing everywhere or whatever is hype kind of takes over globally and there's not that much individuality by by country or or city anymore not as much as i used we need to, to notice, bring back least. i agree Just it bring is back a little the sad Mastro, man it is the a Mastro, sad how the straps that. on it oh that's such a cool shoe like we'll, we'll put a picture when we're airing this of what that shoe looks like yeah but those the master is such obsessed. a 2000s shoe oh i used to i remember going on a trip I'd gone like on some trip to Northern Africa. We'd done uh, Tunisia and Egypt. And in Tunisia, they would Mm -hmm. sell Puma fakes. And I came back home with like five pairs of fake Puma monsters uh, because they were all the rage and I wanted like every colorway. (laughs) The Roma I had like back in the early 2000s, the Puma Roma was like the coolest shoe to me. And it's just interesting how times have changed. Gosh, how times have changed. (laughs) But I mean, okay, so university, you playing basketball, meeting new friends, learning new things. I'm going to fast forward a little bit more to now because there could be a connection here or it could be grasping at straws. But you now have a group you started or co-founded in 2019 called Sneaker Sisterhood. Was that founded out of a want to find more you know, women like yourself who like, like shoes? There wasn't enough of that before and you and you wanted to you know start it on your own how did that come from into existence it was a mix of things it was definitely uh personally from a place of most of my close friends are actually not really into sports um and not really into sneakers or fashion so i wanted to find that community um because mm-hmm. you know it adds a different layer of, of friendship to that as well when you can also bond over over these hobbies and passion points uh but also it was born actually from a uh point where there was a bunch of us that were seeing each other on a regular basis so do you know offspring the the retailer in the uk yeah uh so offspring uh has been really good for the past i'd say four-ish years at getting shoes in the hands of women um and especially when it's been female releases to get them in the hands of women and they tend to do their collection days on a Saturday once you've won a raffle and so a lot of women were coming every Saturday to the store in London to pick up shoes and you know you 
you keep seeing the same faces and community kind of naturally builds. And so it was like a core group of, I would say, about 30 of us that would regularly see each other at these pickup days. Um, and then four of us. Hey, I know you. I know you. Yeah, I see you, you last know, week. Like, yeah, and then you just start chatting and bonding. And, you know, when there's 200 men and 30 women, you kind of gravitate towards the, the women that you see in the crowd. And these friendships started forming. And then we started like a group chat. And from that group chat, four of us were like, why don't we make something more of this? Why don't we make it more official and give a place, even if it's just for these 30 women, but let's give ourselves a place to showcase our passion and how much we actually love sneakers because we don't really get enough like media attention. We don't get attention from brands. We don't really get the love, um, but at least we can show each other the love. And so we started building this platform and then it sort of blew up. You know, we have nearly 15,000 uh, followers on Instagram, a really engaged community. We do events in London, but we have girls all across the globe. I've definitely noticed. I mean, that is so cool how, especially in the digital age, I'm sure you know this, we're around the same age. You don't want to like always, you might see somebody somewhere over and over again, but it's really not natural so and much anymore to like this go strike up a conversation with somebody. So if you see somebody four weeks in a row at the exact same place doing the exact same thing you're doing and you don't start a conversation and then start a group chat and then a sisterhood, like, are we not human anymore? Like that's, yeah. that's such a cool natural story of how that can happen. Um, and also just sneakers opening really your mouth and talking that. to a stranger. Yeah. And sneakers really yeah. facilitate that because like we, obviously we have some girls that are more like introverts and when they come to our events, they're a bit nervous, but it makes it so easy when you can literally point out someone's shoes and be like, I like your shoes. What are those? And then you naturally start that conversation. Mm -hmm. The off the, the shop offspring, they carry more small sizes. Are you still finding that an issue a lot where you just physically can't get a size you need? So their buyers, I think, have definitely put in specific effort into buying smaller sizes, because as we know, a lot of the times shoes are made in the smaller sizes. Buyers are just not buying them um, mm -hmm. or obviously certain brands decide to regionalize where those smaller sizes go. Cause I know for a fact that Asia, for example, gets a lot of the really small sizes and Europe and North America don't. Um, I am fairly lucky because personally I wear a US seven men's. So a UK six oh. size, which means it's, it's usually like the first size in every, every raffle. So I can mm -hmm. at least enter the raffles. I, I might not get them because the sizes are limited, but I can at least enter However, a lot of the women that I'm around often can't even enter raffles because their size isn't even there. Um, so it is definitely still an issue. That is a big issue across the world still because I have, I, have, I have two or three friends who are all four and a half in women's and they are just out of luck so commonly and they've been collecting for so long and it's, oh, you can't have these, which no one likes that feeling. That's not fun. Yeah. Um, I mean, so tell me this. I wanted to touch on this before we went all the way into the like fashion or fun part of sneakers, but you know, you still play a lot of basketball. Um, you know, I think that's one type of sport where until you don't have legs anymore. And even if you don't, you can play basketball sitting down, like you can still shoot a hoop. Like basketball will be with people. If you love the game for their entire lives. Um, what are you playing in now? I see like you're a pretty big fan of, you know, the signature Jordan stuff, but what's your, what are some of your go-to sneakers now? 
Yeah, I actually have a game tonight. And funnily enough, I actually never hooped in Jordans before the Jordan 34. What? Uh, That's a good, I love the 34. It's a good shoe. Yeah. So I actually never did. Then I got the 35 and I didn't like the 35. It slips off my foot too easy. And now I'm hard on the 36. I love Jordan 36s. Um, so mm-hmm. I have two, two pairs of those. Uh, I'm going to try the 37, I think. Um, I really want to try the, uh, Doncic ones. They look good and they look like yes. that kind of shoe. Um, I've played in Kobe's a lot. Um, cause sometimes I quite like a low shoe, even though the, the Jordans I play in are a little higher. Um, I've played in Kyrie's a lot throughout my life. Kyrie threes, fours and fives the most. Tried hooping now in some Kyrie five lows because I got uh, the Jewel Lloyd PE. Uh, I got them from her at oh, nice. the Women's World Cup in, in Sydney. Um, however, they slightly hit my ankle bone. Uh, so I might have to retire them and just look at them for pretty purposes. Uh, but yeah, I've played in a little yeah. bit of everything, really. Man, the Jordan brand can send us both a pair of the Luca ones. I think that's one of the new shoes. I'll take that. that. Just, <laughs> He's so cool. I mean, he is he not just cool? I mean, he's just he's cool, man. The shoe's cool. He's I don't know what it is he's, about it. It's just he's so um he just looks so effortless. And this summer I went to um Paris for the K fifty four tournament, the street bowl tournament in Paris that Jordan Brand hosts. Mm-hmm. And and Luca was there and um we got to chat to him. He did a couple of interviews himself in Zion and He's just so chilled and he just has a great time, like just lives his life. He's very chill. He, it does never feels forced, never, never feels fake. And this is not to be mean to Americans because I'm sure a lot of your audience is American, but I think sometimes American athletes are like hardwired into being the perfect media personality like what they say and Mm -hmm. what they do, like they've clearly been trained from a young age. And then you get these Eastern Europeans or someone like Yanis from Greece, Nigeria, that come along and they're just like, I'm just cool and suave and funny and I'll say silly things and it will work. And I really enjoy that. What it comes down to is, I mean, having to interact with men, period, we can be very uh, cringy. So, I mean, if you can be, (laughs) you can be a little weird and goofy as long as it's from a genuine like kind-hearted place, right? They're all good people at the yeah. end of the day. There's no weird intentions. I was curious about that because I saw, you know, your your posts. You know, Zion's right there, you know, right? Rudy Gobert was right there. Just these big NBA players. What Rudy is that Gobert vibe like? It's my just view the whole day. That's that's why I thought like, I could have sworn Rudy was in your content. Like, uh, blocking <laughs> the view. But where do they play? Like the the um. Eiffel Tower is right there. Is it like in a parking lot or a park in front? Like, what's the setup like for that? Um, so it's uh, like a public athletics track. Uh, okay. And they build they build the court, obviously, temporarily with all the stands and stuff every year for K54. I mean, they have done it in a couple of different locations in the past. Uh, but I, I've been to three editions of it. And all three that I've been to have been in this location now. So I think it's their new like go-to staple now. My goal is to see you there next year. I think it's in, it's in May, right? Or June. I think it's uh, usually July month. and also July 2023 is going to be their 20th anniversary. So I would highly recommend getting down for that one. Man, I've been, it's 
been on like my, my bucket list of things. I've never been to Paris. I've always wanted to go there. But seeing those games, I have a couple 54 shoes in the closet too. So it's like, I got to bring them out to Europe, do my yeah. thing. Um, so, I mean, you kind of alluded to it a moment ago. Um, you were just in Sydney. Uh, was it in Sydney or? It's just yeah, in it was Australia. It was in the like, Olympic Park that was built in 2000 for the Olympics. 2000. Man, the the first time Michael Phelps swam. I'm a huge Michael Phelps Olympics fan, so his first races ever were in those Sydney games. Yeah. But anywho, um, no, it was in Atlanta. I'm talking too much. Um, I brought <laughs> that up because you were covering um, Euro basketball, FIBA World Basketball Championships, um, and just I'm going back and watching the videos you were posting and what FIBA was posting. Um, a, you're a great interviewer, and you're a great interviewee. You're very easy to talk to. Well, but thank you. <laughs> what can be really hard, and I think for somebody who, I mean, you can't speak every language. Basketball is the universal language. You're at, you're interacting with people from Team Japan, Team China, you know, from the U.S., from the U.K. Um, doesn't matter where you're from, what kind of social or um, language barriers there are. Every interview is just so fun and easy and just... I love watching them. How did like how did how did you get these interviewing chops? Is that from like what you do every day? Like where did that come from? It's not easy. Um, yeah, so it it sort of all happened thanks to social media. Um, so off the back of um, the work that I've done on my personal page with Nike across basketball um, a couple of years ago, the um, Italian. Uh, Basketball Federation got in touch to launch their um, 100-year anniversary kit uh, in collaboration with Spalding, like a big campaign. Uh, and so through their creative agency, I did that with them, and it was super fun. And their creative agency, one of the guys was obviously very connected to FIBA as well and then ended up working for FIBA. And so he got me involved in this. So during COVID was the first time he got me involved um, and it was just to do interviews with some of the um, women's Eurobasket players just on Instagram mm-hmm. live, but start doing some more human interviews, like not removed from basketball, but less about, oh, wow, that was a fantastic action and pick and roll that you did with your teammate there. But more about, oh, my God, like Kalia Copper, you're you're from Philly, but you're now living in, in Spain playing for Avenida. What's life like in Spain? What's your first experience? You know. More, more of that life element. Yeah. Um, and then those were really successful. And so the FIBA team brought me along to Istanbul in Turkey um, for the final four, uh, which was the most incredible experience because Fenerbahce, who was one of the main Turkish teams, was in the final and Turkish fans. If you've never seen what Turkish fans get up to sports-wise, doesn't matter if it's soccer, or basketball or whatnot, they are insane and it's incredible. <laughs> was so much fun. And then they got me involved for the World Cup, which I wanted to be a sports journalist growing up. And then I quickly parked that idea when I realized that my writing skills were probably not captivating enough. So to be able to go to the Women's World Cup in Sydney Olympic Park and interview literally the best players in the world was mind blowing. Best experience of my life. So we'll circle back around to who you kind of felt most starstruck with, but a huge interview in that Sydney game was actually with the tournament MVP, the WNBA 
MVP. She was also the finals MVP in the WNBA and the defensive player of the year, Aja Wilson. And you guys really do have more of that conversational, you know, banter with each other than tell me about what you read off the, you know, off the pin down, like way more fun stuff. What was that like interviewing her and who were some of your, who were some of the um, people you're fans of that you were just like really excited to speak to? Yeah. I mean, Asia, I have never met anyone with a personality that is so infectious and like so bright and energetic. Like this woman has literally had the seasons of her life. She's been unstoppable this year, but she must also be tired. She's been going nonstop. And she got to Sydney with a big smile on her face, straight on the court, dominating, doing interviews, doing this, doing that, press conferences, like... You know, just it was such a joy to to see her and to just observe what she's like with anyone, with all the journalists, with the staff, just good energy. Uh, and of mm-hmm. course, seeing her play, it was my first time seeing her play live on the court and she is unstoppable. Um, so she was fantastic. I really adore Arella Garantes from Team Puerto Rico. She is a a bucket. Okay, time out. Did you know that we have an entire network of podcasts? That's right. It's called the Retrospect Podcast Network, and it includes a number of shows that you might like if you're enjoying this one. First up is for the F1 fans. Exhaust Notes is a Formula One podcast that's the perfect balance for the new fans joining the sport and the tried and true diehard F1 fans who've been there all along. New episodes of Exhaust Notes drop every Tuesday on all of your favorite podcast platforms and at exhaustnotes.fm. We've also got a show for the fitted hat collectors out there called Crown and Stitch. As a baseball fan, I've been obsessed with hats for as long as I can remember, and the number of people collecting now has gone through the roof. It reminds me of sneakers back in the day, and I absolutely love seeing creativity of the new releases. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode of Crown and Stitch on all of your favorite podcast platforms and on YouTube at youtube.com slash crownandstitch. If you follow me personally on social platforms at Nick Engvall, you probably already know I first dipped my toes in the podcast game back in 2015 with a show called Outside the Box. Originally hosted by my friends Brandon Edler and Jacques Slade, it eventually evolved into a show with Tiffany Beers, Jacques Slade, and myself, and then into an interview series with some amazingly creative guests. While the show has gone through a lot of changes throughout the years, and it's currently on hiatus, a lot of people have been enjoying past episodes recently, and I'm excited to say I have new episodes in the works for the new year. We'll be adding new podcasts to the Retrospect Network in the coming months as well. In fact, if you'd like to advertise on any of the shows, be a guest on any of the shows, or even talk to us about getting your own podcast started, reach out to us at podcast at sneakerhistory.com and find out more about the podcast network at retrospectpodcast.com. I don't know if you've seen any of her highlights, but she is incredible. Um, And if she doesn't get a roster spot in a WNBA team, I'll be really surprised. Um. Who else? I mean, Gabby Williams is a personal fave. Team France, she's amazing. She's playing for Asvel in France now in in Euroleague women. Um, I think she's then heading back to Seattle Storm. Who else? The Chinese girls, Li Yueru and um, and Shu. They're six foot nine and six foot ten respectively, and they're only nineteen and twenty one. They are gonna they're babies. They're going to take over the WNBA, I think. Um, That's insane. Yeah. So so much talent. Like, honestly, you don't often get to see, obviously, all these women in the same place, especially when you live outside of the States. 
um, because we don't get to see the WNBA and I don't get to go to games. So seeing them all in, in Sydney was unbelievable. It's really interesting how you bring up this age's demeanor because we're all human. And I think at any point of our individual days, mine, yours, a listener's, there's going to be times you know, five o'clock in the evening, you just got home, you had your commute, you're tired, you don't want to talk to anybody, you're, you might be, you know, snippy with your pet or your partner, you know, just we're not always at our 100%. And to go from like a complete dominant WNBA season, and then to go right to FIBA and dominate there and still do it all with a positive attitude. That's something I need to be better about, you know, towards the end of a tiring week, like, you know, wearing my happiest pants we all could do a little better. So that's just a little tip to the yeah. listener. Be more like Asia. <laughs> Carry yourself a little more of a smile. Even when you're tired, just try. Um, I need to be more so like Asia So are there any sure. particular, in every aspect of life, um, <laughs> that'd be great. Um, so, I mean, are there any particular um, brands you're seeing out there? Because in the NBA and WNBA, Nike owns so many of the foot the feet of athletes is there more diversity on like the FIBA courts shoe wise more you see more different shoes or calling a no I would say uh Nike and Jordan still have the majority uh even though they're not giving these women actual brand deals so I wish the women would maybe explore further uh I never see much under armor in female basketball uh, there's a bunch of Adidas, actually. Mm -hmm. A lot of the girls are Adidas athletes, like um, obviously Kalia Copper is an Adidas athlete, Monica Okoye that plays for Japan, she's an Adidas athlete. Um, so there there was some three stripes on the court. Um, didn't Oh, apart from Stewie, I didn't see any Puma, uh, but Stewie did a big, um, big sort of event with Foot Locker Australia on her shoe as well, which was pretty epic. Uh, but I'd still say that that's Nike's, a great shoe. Yeah, I'm hoping that my contact at Puma has one in the post for me because I want to try them. <laughs> no, I do. I hope they come too. I've been waiting. It's like hmm, any day now, they should be a pair. <laughs> but yeah, so it's stupid for Nike to let her go, right? Is that what you were about to say? Um, or yeah, silly to I, let Nike let her go? <laughs> I mean, I I'm actually enjoying the fact that we see more more diversity and I like to see other brands trying to do more in women's basketball. So I'm all for Puma pushing, pushing Stewie, hopefully get a couple other women on the roster, get more peas out there and, and really sort of push that division because I think um, women's basketball is definitely where there could be a bit more competition against Nike um, where it's less sort of, mm -hmm. you know, clear cut. It very much could be. And it's just fun seeing, you know, Stewie stuff and then LaMelo Ball on the boys side. Just, you know, two people who are fantastic athletes, but for some reason, bigger basketball brands didn't want to get behind them. And now we're seeing how big of a mistake that was for everybody but Puma because they saw the vision of those two athletes. Yeah. And oh. he's got to do something new sometimes. It was my it was my first time, obviously, interviewing Stewie, and I think she's like the epitome of like what a great athlete is. She's professional. She's smart, funny, amazing on the court. But I do also mm -hmm. understand that she's not your typical Nike or Jordan athlete mold. I don't think she really fits that image or even personality wise. 
she's just so chilled and laid back and quieter. So I understand why it might not have been a brand fit in terms of marketing goals. Mm -hmm. But I also think that you need to look at what the on-court performance is and Stewie's pretty unstoppable. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. It's Nike has a big, um, always be on it, always be on offense, like motto. So not every person needs to be exactly like that to be great or to be, we're not all in a cookie cutter. We don't all fit in the same box. Exactly. And I think that's what I think sneaker brands are maybe starting to see more and more as they have exclusive women releases. Um, do you feel like there's been a change since when you were a little girl to now to where you feel like brands are trying more to, you know, include women in all these sneaker releases? Has there been noticeable or is it all just like media? Like, do you actually feel like there's been a change? I, I think there has been a change, definitely. And I think more effort is being put in. I also know that there's a lot more women working behind the scenes. I know a lot more women working behind the scenes. So the change is there, but there are still some things which are a bit odd. Like I remember when the, uh, what was it? I think it was maybe the Amaminier threes came out. Obviously that whole campaign was incredible, um, black female empowerment. And then I remember that like some retailers, that was a shoe made for women. And some retailers just had men modeling that shoe, for example. Things mm -hmm. like that, or even just Elena Deladon, she's just getting her signature shoe now with Nike. Elena has been ripping up the WNBA for however long. Eight years. Yeah. So, you know, it's it it's still baby steps, but I'll take baby steps over over nothing. So I'm glad mm -hmm. that progress is being made. I think I mean the more and more people who aren't just keeping a, the the status quo of the boys club, that's where you have change happening. And you're right. There are so many more women and people of color in places where it was historically just a white boys club. So as that keeps changing, I think we're going to see more and more, more and more. I mean, the Ama Minier thing is very funny. It's like, you know, this is a women's shoe and like, why are there yeah, all guys? Honestly. There's just so many like bonehead things that I think will only get better with time. But I mean, to kind of end on a happier note, um, what's, what's in, what's coming forward in your, in your sneaker life, you know, sneaker sisterhood started in 2019, which COVID kind of probably stopped some things from being a little easy, but do you, are you looking to expand on that? Um, what, what in sneakers, what are you looking forward to in the next, you know, you don't have to give any particular secrets, but you yeah. know, what's kind of on your horizon? Um, we definitely have some plans in the work. Obviously, myself and my co-founders, we, we do this as a side hustle. You know, we all have full-time jobs. So sometimes it gets quite difficult to manage it all because we want to keep the community alive and we want to make sure that we're facilitating that. But sometimes life takes over. Um, so I think we're just trying to get better in terms of, you know, our Discord channel, making sure that people are engaged, keep the online engagement, but also do more in-person things. Like we did a couple of meetups this summer. Uh, we have a big event coming up in November, which we're really excited about and we will be posting about soon. Um, but I, ideally, we would also like to give opportunities for in-person meets for women that are outside of London. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we've been thinking about 
having some sort of reps or extensions of us in different cities around the world to see what they how they can maybe extend our brand out there. But it's still very much a big question mark. It's tough. I mean, sneaker history is also something we also have on the side. Like we have a normal life. Uh, two of our hosts had kids recently. Like life very much does happen. So <laughs> it is, it's always a growing um, effort to try to keep engaged with everybody. Cause not like we don't want to, but just life is a lot sometimes. So our listeners yeah. and our discord members, thank you for sticking through us and everything. We'll make sure to link sneaker sisterhood, um, and if you have a flyer or anything, any info for your November event, we're also happy to share that with our people too. But you know, for Julia, sure. we're at about time now. This has been so nice to have you on. Um, we just don't have a lot of opportunities from different experiences to kind of share what their sneaker life is like. So I thank you so much for coming on here. Um, where can the people me. find you? Where's um, your tags? So my Instagram, my name is spelled a little funny, but I'm sure you'll tag it somewhere is Julia Z 12. And that pretty much is across all social media channels and sneaker sisterhood is at sneaker sisterhood. So very simple, man, we will link everything. So they know it's with the G and not the J <laughs> and it is Julia still. I think part of that weird American thing is the wedding singer. I'm pretty sure you've heard the story, the no? wedding singer. Um, it's a, it's an Adam. Sa oh, I get to tell you for the first time. There's an Adam Sandler movie from like 1998 where um, this girl he's interested in is named Julia and her future fiance's last name is Gulia. So her name would be Julia Gulia. And that's, I'll send you like the, the, oh, the no one way. minute YouTube clip. Gulia it's is Drew Barrymore. She says, <laughs> it's Drew Barrymore saying, oh my God, my name's going to be Julia Gulia. And. <laughs> Yeah, that, that might be part of the reason why so many people get that wrong from the States. Oh my God, that's hilarious. And also my nightmare. Thanks, Adam I hope to never, Literally, I hope to never meet a man whose surname is Gulia that I like. <laughs> never. Please, uh, no rhyming anybody. Please, no rhyming last <laughs> names of people you love. Stay away from that. Anywho, <laughs> that's such a random thing. But listeners, if you've seen The Wedding Singer, make sure you tag Julia here and <laughs> let her know that that's why we get it wrong. But again, my friend, thank you so much for coming on. Um, have a great rest of your day. Get some sleep. And uh, we'll talk to you me. next time. Of course. Thank you. Hey, hey, Nick here again. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. Be sure to hop into our Discord to answer this episode's The Last Shot question and get to know our community of sneaker enthusiasts. If you'd like more insights on the trending topics in the sneaker world, I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter. And last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how far a simple compliment can take you, and we all know how good it feels to be on the receiving end of some appreciation. Thank you for all the support, and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace.